Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, November 19th, we are studying Amos chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. The Lord has silenced his people at the end of Amos's fourth vision, but through the prophet, the Lord still speaks. The Lord commands his people to hear. He continues to expound upon the sins that are bringing his judgment down upon his people. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us Pastor, uh, Pastor Christopher Jackson. <laughs> I don't know if that's ever happened to you, Pastor Jackson. <laughs> Pastor Christopher Jackson no, serves. No, I think I've heard that once before. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Jackson serves at St. John Lutheran Church in Algoma, Wisconsin, and St. Peter Lutheran Church in Forestville, Wisconsin. Pastor Jackson, welcome to Sharper Iron. Thanks for having me on, Pastor Apple. So, Pastor Jackson, let's get started with a little context here in the book of Amos. We're, we're in the middle of, of Amos's visions, but we've got a bit of an interruption here. Uh, give us some context that'll help us dig into the words we've got today. Yeah, so um, as you said, we're in the midst of uh, Amos's visions, and we have a, a little bit of an interruption to, that gives us a little glimpse into uh, part of what is disturbing Amos so much, and that uh, that these visions would come to him, and uh, that he'd be speaking these very, very hard words of law that we see uh, very consistently throughout the book of Amos. Um, we should also note that, that it comes on the heels of a confrontation between, between Amos and the priest Amaziah, uh, who shows himself to be a, a false priest and uh, an apostate priest, where uh, Amaziah completely rejects his, uh, his ministry, his prophetic ministry. And uh, it's, it's in the wake of this rejection of his ministry that, uh, that uh, Amos really doubles down. You know, Amaziah says, you know, hey, seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah where you're from, and eat bread there, and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is a king's sanctuary and it is a temple of the kingdom. And uh, Amos, instead of uh, doing as Amaziah said, he, he doubles down. And uh, instead of fleeing, he, he really arms himself for a fight to, uh, you know, to, to bring God's word of, of condemnation and, and God's word of judgment upon Amaziah, upon the king, and, and really the entire kingdom of Israel. Yeah, that that confrontation that the prophet had with Amaziah really shapes the last two chapters of the book of Amos. If anybody should have repented, it, it would have been the priest. And the fact that he, of all people, won't really then pushes the message of Amos forward into this this doubling down, as you said, where where he just keeps coming at him. Now, now it, it's but it's not only the priests. Right. I mean, and, and just as a, and I know we haven't read the text yet, but as a way of, of introduction, it seems that the priests aren't going to be primarily in view here, or, or maybe they are. Who, who are we going to see Amos come at in the text we've got today? Yeah, I, I think we actually can maybe uh, see the priests uh, involved here to a degree, and, and we'll talk about that. But, uh, but really, Amos has in view. Uh, the merchants of Israel. You see, Israel, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, was in a time um, in in which things were going well for them. Uh, the the king Jeroboam had pushed out their borders. Uh, it was a time of wealth. It was a time of prosperity. It was a time of of peace for them. Um, but what Amos does is he he looks beyond these external appearances, and that's that's something that we're going to see. Um, here as, as we get into it. Uh, Amos is really going beyond what is seen with the eye to examine the heart of the matter, and he's examining the heart of, of Israel by way of examining the hearts of the merchants. And he's saying, look, you have this prosperity, things are going well with you, um, but your hearts aren't right, and the heart of this people is not right. Um, and in fact, your hearts are far from God. And, and Amos, Amos does this by seeing people who often are 
also very invisible, meaning the poor. And so uh, what, what comes into view uh, very clearly in this, this particular verse is how uh, the merchants, um, and I think as well we can talk about the priests, we'll, we'll get into that, but the merchants especially are, are defrauding the poor, and, and really the problem is what we're not seeing um, because of a particular uh, practice which was terrifying to Amos, and, and contrary to God's law, which is the selling of, of their brother Israelites into slavery. And so um, Amos says, look, where are the poor? They're disappearing from the land. We can't see them anymore in the way that we once were. And uh, because we can't see them, and, or rather I see their lack, their, or the fact that these are being sold into slavery, uh, we can see that even while things are going well for us at, at, at our core, at our heart, uh, things are not right. Our hearts are hard against God, and uh, this is shown forth in the way that our hearts are hard against the poor. Mm. And this is a this is a world that Amos would have had some experience with. You know, he's he's called he calls himself a sheep herder from Tekoa in that first verse of the book, and so we I mean we've seen his agricultural images come up throughout the book, but that that sheep herder is probably more than just the shepherd out on the hill. He would have been engaging in some of these business transactions. And so he's he's now going to describe to us a world that he's probably seen firsthand, this interaction, these transactions with these merchants. And like you said, he's, he's going to call them out for, for what's going wrong with them, especially in terms of the way they're treating the poor. So let's go ahead and read the text. We've got Amos chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying... When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. So, Pastor, Pastor Jackson, there, there we have it, the text before us. The last vision ended with this silence and, and now... The prophet continues to speak, though. Listen, hear, hear this. And, and he calls them out particularly for their, as, as you've been telling us, their treatment of the poor. Uh, what, what's going on here, Pastor Jackson? Yeah, so um, he says here this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end. Um, so here he's talking um, about, and really to see the fullness of what he's talking about, we actually do need to jump down to verse 6 where he says that we may buy the poor of silver, um, buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Um, so what we see going on here is that things had gotten so bad for the poor that their debts had accumulated to such an extent that they were being sold into, into slavery. And um, this is uh, this is really a, a, a dire and, and dark thing that was happening. I mean, this is this is dire and dark for for anyone to sell their their fellow human into slavery, but especially for the people of God because they had explicit commandments regarding this, regarding the treatment of the poor, and also regarding um, regarding slavery. So, for example, um, in Deuteronomy chapter fifteen, um, it it has these words, Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 1, at the end of every seven years, so the, the sabbatical year, uh, you shall grant a release, and this is the manner of the release, every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. So, um, you know, we might, we might see what was happening here, something similar to what, was, what happened like in company towns and in old uh, coal villages in the southeast where uh, you, you had the merchants and they, they kept books, and very often the, uh, the, the books and the weights and the measures were, were crooked. We'll, we'll get into that in a, in a few minutes. Um, and the debt accumulated to such a degree that, that there was no way you could, uh, you could get out of it. Um, and, and God in his wisdom foresaw the potential for this happening and knew that, uh, knew that if, um, if, if this would happen, that the people of Israel would, would never uh, truly be brethren. 
You see, so many of the laws in the Old Testament um, are, are holiness laws, which, which call the people of God out from all the peoples of the world to be his own special people. Um, but this meant that they would as well have to be brothers. And wherever, wherever debts are allowed to uh, accumulate to such an extent that they can never be paid off, well, you know, the, the debtor is a slave to the lender, and whoever is a slave is not a son and uh, not, not a brother. And so as mutual sons of Abraham, uh, to, to allow this perpetual debt accrual to happen, uh, well, then this would, would create the circumstance in which the poor of the land would cease to be the brothers of, of those who were better off. And we actually see this language coming in then in a few verses later in Deuteronomy uh, 15, verse 7, if among you one of your brothers should become poor, nay, the towns within your land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart. Or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Uh, take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say the seventh year of the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and, and he cry to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and all that you will undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. And so uh, what God was giving the Israelites a vision of here in Deuteronomy is, is that the, the poor and the rich live together as brothers. And as brothers, the rich um, have, have open hands, generous hearts to the poor. But instead, we see something entirely different. Their hearts are hard to the poor. And instead of being generous and, and open-handed with them, instead, they're miserly and they cheat the poor. And, and even when um, they, they give and, and lend on credit, um, they, and instead of allowing the sabbatical year, the Sabbath year, uh, to, to cancel out those debts, um, instead they are selling their brothers into slavery, which was, which was strictly forbidden, uh, strictly forbidden in the Old Testament um, for, for, uh, for Hebrews, for Israelites to uh, enslave other Israelites into perpetuate perpetuity, and most especially not to sell them into slavery to foreigners. And I, I think that's what we're seeing here, because he's saying, look, you're bringing the poor of the land to an end, exactly what, what God said not to do in Deuteronomy. Well, how do you bring the poor of the land to an end? Uh, well, it's by selling the, land, the, the poor off to foreigners, in, in the same way that Joseph was sold off to foreigners, so that they're no longer among you. And so this is the very shocking thing that's, that's, that's going on um, in the eyes of Amos that he is uh, calling uh, the merchants out on, so to speak. So, Pastor Jackson, anytime you know, we start talking about slavery here in the United States, it starts triggering people, I think. You know, I mean, we, we have a hard time hearing that word as it's used in, in a biblical sense. And, and you're right. Uh, everything you've said about slavery is is correct, biblically speaking, for God's people to be enslaved. I mean, this is a, a hearkening back to Egypt. The Lord's redemptive yeah. act in the Old Testament was to save them from slavery. And so for, for right. them to willingly enslave one another in that same way is is just unthinkable. At the yeah. same time, though, well, I mean, but but at the same time, and we saw this when we studied the book of Exodus previously on, on Sharper Iron, the Lord does allow his people to maybe indentured servants is the better way to think about it. And it's there in Deuteronomy 15 as, as well. There, there is an allowance for, the, for a person, for an Israelite, to sell himself as an indentured servant for the sake of paying off a debt. So, but, and, and with, the, with the, I mean, you brought up the sabbatical year, the, and then, of course, the year of Jubilee every 50th year that, that these debts are supposed to be canceled, which is being ignored. But I, so I, I, wonder, I wonder, too, if... If there's maybe another thing going on here, and I think this this ties in, and, and I don't want to go too far ahead, but that these these rich merchants are are trying to cover up what they're doing with these 
maybe they would see them as provisions, right? Well, they, I mean, they could they could point to a law and say, well, look, you know, there is this provision for a debt that that he can become my slave, but the debts that they're talking about, I mean, they're they're saying, you know, the needy for a pair of sandals, right? I mean, this is this is just a a paltry debt that they're enslaving their brother for. Yeah, I, I guess yeah, what absolutely. what comes to my mind is the. Um, that's the the ninth commandment and the explanation that we get in the catechism that we should fear and love God so that we do not scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or get it in a way which only appears right. And, and it seems oh, to me that that's what's going on here. Go ahead, Pastor Jackson. Yeah, yeah, and, and entirely, entirely this is what's going on here. And um, in, in two ways, in two ways. So uh, first of all, you know, this this really leads in to uh, verse 5, okay? Um, when will the new moon be over uh, that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale? I actually want to go back to that, but I'm um, going to pay attention to that, the second part of verse 5 there, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances. Um, and then as you called our attention to, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needed for a pair of sandals. Um, so, you know, the ninth commandment, as you, as you note, Luther's explanation for it is, is that, um, yeah, so that we may not scheme to get our, our neighbor's possessions by, by ways that appear right. And that, that is exactly what was happening in, uh, among the merchants of Israel, is that they said, look, you know, um, the, we're, we're using measures you know, we're not just tossing the grain in and, and saying what it is. We're using measures, and we're using shekels, and we're using balances. But but the means by which they were doing this were, were false means. So um, he says uh, that we may make the ephah small. So what Amos saw here was that the merchants uh, were using this unit of measure called an ephah. Uh, but like you, you might imagine something like a measuring cup. Um, and, and on that measuring cup would be labeled, um, you know, one cup, but in actuality, what it was, was like a, a three quarters of a cup, if you would actually go and measure it. Right. And so, um, they were using a small ephah, a small measure as, uh, you can imagine the merchants doling the, the grain into the sacks of the people coming to purchase it. And, uh, for every ostensible one ephah, they were actually giving three quarters of an ephah uh, to the to the people who were coming to purchase. So that was one means that they were using um, in order to defraud the poor. Which, which again, um, how how much of a different thing is this from this this generous this generous open handedness that was uh, was expected from the people towards the poor? Uh, so make the ephah small and the shekel great. So. Um, you know, you might agree, for example, that for every ephah of, uh, of grain, you might give a, a, a shekel of silver or something like this. Okay, I don't know exactly what the exchange rates for this would have been at the time, but we'll just use that as an example. Um, and so the way that they would measure out these shekels of silver and, and so on is that there would be a, a balance, and then uh, the merchants would have... Uh, a weight that would be like one shekel, and so you'd put uh, put the shekel of uh, of a weighted shekel on one side of the balance, and then say if you're trading it for silver, then the uh, individual who was paying silver for that wheat uh, would place that shekel of uh, or place that amount of uh, silver on the other side, and when it balanced, they they knew that everything was right. Well, what was going on was that uh, they were while they were making the ephah small. Um, they were making their shekel weights heavy. And so um, for every, uh, say there, the exchange was one shekel of silver for one ephah of grain. Um, instead, what would happen is that uh, the people, as they would put their shekels of silver on there, it actually end up being maybe like, say, one and a quarter shekels. You know, something, uh, a small difference that may not be perceptible to the eye, but when accumulated would make a very big difference to the merchants. So you have something equivalent to what's happening here where the, uh, the people are, are paying for one ephah of, of grain, but instead getting three quarters. And uh, instead of paying, you know, one shekel, they're paying one and one quarters, 
something like that. And then there was a third way that the, uh, the merchants were defrauding the poor, and they were using false balances. So uh, there might be a balance that has some sort of mechanism by which uh, it's able to um, cast the transaction to the favor of the merchant. And so, uh, you know, the merchants could say, look, we're doing, you know, the people know what they're getting. Uh, we're using balances. We're using measures. And it all appeared right. It all appeared good. Um, but, but really, this was a, a scheme by which they could uh, accumulate more money, defraud the poor. Um, and then as well, yeah, you mentioned um, selling the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Um, so, yeah, there was provision that people sell themselves into indentured slavery to pay off a debt. Uh, but uh, certainly that command was not given with a view that such a paltry debt would, would, would cause this to happen. Um, and then as well, the idea that uh, these individuals being sold off so that they're no longer in the land, apparently sold off to foreigners, this would preclude the opportunity for these individuals benefiting from the, the sabbatical year and the freedom from, from slavery, from indentured servitude that was, was part, of, uh, part, of God's hand, God, part of God's plan. So, so every... that's one part of the Ninth Commandment. I'd actually like to get to the, the second part because I think that this is even more um, – uh, this is even, you know, more to the heart of the matter, uh, kind of a pun way of, of speaking here. You well, know, I find let me, that, oh, let, me let me just just interrupt you briefly, just because I think we're we're coming close to the break, and so I want to sure. I want to stick with this this theme of what they're doing to the poor before we really dig into what else is going on in verse five, because as you said, I really think you know, I mean, we're kind of treating this text outward in, and I I think that's the way the text sets it up for us. Um, but, yeah. but I mean, so what they're doing to the poor, they're, they're cheating people every which way. So, yeah, so they, their, their balances are off. <laughs> they, they're making the EFA small. So people are not getting as much as they think they are buying. They're making the shekel great. They're paying too much for that smaller amount. And then they're at the, the bottom the you know, the very last phrase of verse six, they're, they're selling the chaff of the wheat. They're actually not giving them them quality product either. Um, they're, they're mixing in the, the stuff you don't really want to buy when you're buying grain. So every which way they're, <laughs> they're cheating the poor. And, and so as, as we think about that on, on this side of the break, Pastor Jackson, before we move into that, really the heart of the text, give us a bit of application on, on this side of the break for us today. What, what do we need to, because this is a, a hard matter, I think, for us. We, we like to spiritualize these things, I think, when it comes to how we treat <laughs> right. the poor. But I don't yeah. think Amos allows us to do that. No, no. And, and this is, you know, I think that this is probably a, a very hard, um, I think this is a very hard thing for good, uh, I know that not every listener is Lutheran, but I think this is a very hard thing for good and industrious uh you know german background lutherans to hear uh because um you know, this is this is not something that we particularly um you know this this would not be at the top of our minds but you know i want to make clear that that amos really considers this to be um a, a type of sin which is just utterly egregious, because if we go back to 2 verse 7, um, where he's setting up this entire judgment on Israel, we actually have um, the first instance of this this use of this um, term, trampled the head of the poor into the dust of the earth. Uh, so he says, you know, for three transgressions of Israel and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth, and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl, so that my holy name is profaned. And that seems like it's sort of a, an odd juxtaposition that, on the one hand, he's talking about um, these economic sins, and then he goes on to talk about these, uh, talks about this sexual sin. But, but I think that that odd juxtaposition is is really intentional because uh yeah that idea of a man going in uh, a father going into a man and a father going into the same girl is is really just it, it strikes at your heart and it's it's utterly reprehensible and what amos is saying look this defrauding of the poor should be just as reprehensible to you as as this 
terrible sin covered in the in the sixth commandment so in the same way as the seventh commandment ninth commandment uh, violations of this ought to be reprehensible to you and, and this is hard for us to hear um in our time because much like in the time of amos we live in a time of peace and a time of uh, prosperity and i think amos would really have us to examine our hearts and also our actions uh with regards to uh, how we treat the poor in our own economic sins you're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFU. We're looking at Amos chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. We're going to take a short break, but we will be right back. Please stick around. Chapel serves those who serve the Lord to be receivers of the Word and to remember where our true help is found. Hear God's Word read, preached, confessed, and sung in the broadcast of Daily Chapel from the LCMS International Center in St. Louis weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. The broadcast of Chapel is underwritten by LCMS International Mission and Ministry to the Armed Forces. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Tuesday, November 19th. We are looking at Amos chapter 8, verses 4 through 6, with Pastor Christopher Jackson of St. John Lutheran Church in Algoma, Wisconsin, and St. Peter Lutheran Church in Forestville, Wisconsin. Pastor Jackson, prior to the break, we were looking at this, this outward shell that Amos has here in these verses of how the people are mistreating the poor of the land. They're doing it in ways that appear right, uh, but they, they just over and over again are taking advantage of the poor. And, and worst of all, this matter of slavery that's coming up, they're, they're basically extinguishing the poor of the land. And, and not only are they making this look right in terms of the way that they're attempting to follow the law or outwardly trying to follow these laws that the Lord has put down, but they're, they're making it look right. And I think this is where you were, were going to go before the break. They're making it look right by the way that they're worshiping. And that really gets us to the, the heart of the matter. Is that, is that where you want to, where planning to take us next? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, you rightly mentioned uh, and brought up, and, and I think that's exactly right, that the Ninth Commandment is, uh, is entirely in view here, where, uh, you know, these uh, individuals are um, scheming to get their neighbor's possessions in a way that looks right. But, but the thing about the Ninth and the Tenth Commandment that I find um, really challenging is that these are commandments which, which get to the heart, right? So it's not just about scheming, but it's also about, are we content with what we have? And are we uh, jealous after what others have? And, and jealousy is not only like an upward thing. It's not only like looking up to the rich and saying, I want what they have, but it's also being jealous for, for what others are, what is rightfully belonging uh, to others, um, even if it's the, the poultry uh, possessions of of the poor, and so this is what I find so so challenging about the ninth and tenth commandment is that even if I can say, yeah, I I am upright uh, and righteous outwardly, there is not a single person on earth that is not touched by the ninth and the tenth commandment. There's not a single person on earth that, if they're honest, um, can can see that their hearts are right. And and this is where Amos is really bringing us, and 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 kind of a, um, I think a maybe a tricky kind of way because he he buries it in the middle of this saying, um, but the the fact that he buries it once again shows us that it's it's at the heart of what he's saying, um, it's at the center of what he's saying, in the same way that our hearts are at the the center of of who we are, and uh, it's it's with these words in verse five 
when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale? So this threw me for a loop when I first when I first read it, uh, because immediately my mind went to um, like what Nehemiah was talking about uh, in, in his book, where people were just not observing the Sabbath. I mean, they were engaging in market activities on the Sabbath. But it really took a little bit of digging to, to come to realize that's not what Amos has in mind at all. These merchants are, in fact, observing the Sabbath. Uh, they are, in fact, observing the new moon festivals, which were appointed um, appointed in the Old Testament as well. And um, but they're observing them only in in external ways. They're they're going through the motions, but their hearts are not in it. And Amos challenges us to see that. It's this hard-heartedness towards God, which is really at the root of the hard-heartedness that we see towards the people around. And, and I, I, you brought up Pharaoh earlier, and that's exactly right. I, you know, Pharaoh is sort of always looms in the background of the Old Testament as sort of the, the prototype or the you know, ultimate example of, of wickedness. So he's got a hard heart towards God and uh, he has a hard heart towards the people as well so that he, he enslaves the people of Israel. And uh, Amos is, is challenging these merchants to see how they too, they've become like Pharaoh, that, that they are hard hearted towards God. They're, they're, they're worshiping him in, um, in in outward ways, but they're not worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And and that's really the where the um, that, that that's really where generosity for the poor and so on comes from is is gratitude towards God and um, generosity towards God, as we recall how He has been generous to us. So, I mean, similar to what, what Jesus says to the Pharisees, and he's, he's quoting, I believe, from the prophet Isaiah, that they're, they're, they're honoring me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Yeah. That's, what, that's what Amos is getting at here in, in verse 5, right? Yes, yes. So, um, yeah, he's certainly, uh, you know, Isaiah who's writing really in the same, uh, you know, sort of circumstances. Um, yeah, he says, Because those people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Um, and so, uh, yeah, once again, I, I think that um, we can see uh, how this harkens back to um, – this confrontation with Amaziah, right? Mm -hmm. So um, you remember Amaziah says, um, you know, never again shall you prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. And so really the the temple or, uh, you know, the sanctuary there has become a, uh, a temple in a, a sanctuary which is devoted to the ways of man, um, is devoted to the the ways of um, you know if there's if there's a if there's a man at the top of um, Israel society as a as a merchant and and so on. Well, it's it's the king, right? Um, and so uh, really, the the temple has become this this place where. Um, this place that is devoted to the ways of man and this this self um, regard rather than devoted to the ways of god and and really it's this this hardness of the heart which is um, at the at the center of of all our problems isn't it i mean it's it Jesus says you know it's not what goes into a man which makes him unclean but it's what comes out of a man because you know out is out of the heart of man that comes forth. Um, you know, the curses they curses and, and so on. And so the things that we do externally show forth the corruption within um, and, and show us that um, really before God, we, we all stand 
condemned because of that hardness, uh, because of that hardness of heart. I'm glad you brought up Amaziah again because we we'd mentioned this at the beginning how the priests might be connected to this and and here we we start to see that because this is not Amos is not only preaching against those who are misusing the poor but he's especially preaching against those who are misusing abusing the poor really and using religious pretenses to to back it up and and yeah. I mean and and this isn't maybe maybe this isn't the exactly what's happening but it's not too hard to to picture, you know, you, you've gone to the Sabbath service there at the, the temple in Bethel, and, and the merchants and the, the priests are shaking hands after the service, and, and the priests are, you know, maybe receiving a kickback or something like that. You know, I mean, you just, you can, you can hear the, the after service conversations, the jokes that might be told, hey, now you can go, you know, sell and, and make some money. And I, all of the, the ways that they're covering up what they're doing to the poor, they're doing it in these religious ways, which, which just makes it all the worse and and yeah. all the i mean you know and amos has done this before it, it back in chapter four he he talked to he said you know go to go to gilgal or go to bethel and transgress and, and multiply transgressions and, and keep bringing these sacrifices and, and just fill up your your iniquity right and that's the same idea here you mentioned the the new moon and i had to do a little bit of looking because that's that's one that's a little I think a little less familiar to us, these new new moon festivals. We know a bit more about the Sabbath because it's a much bigger deal in the Old Testament. But the new moon would have been the, the beginning of the month. And there are commands about offering sacrifices. But there's no really, at least from what I could tell, there's no specific command. It's not as big of a deal as the Sabbath in the Old Testament. And so you see these people going above and beyond the call that, that you've got. I mean, they're going above the letter of the law in terms of the way they're observing these things outwardly. But they're only doing that to hide what's there inwardly. And so, I mean, the, the connection between the religious life of the people and their ethical life, I mean, there's, there's just tons of directions we can go. I've probably brought up a lot of different threads. <laughs> Chase one of them, Pastor Jackson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I think you're right. Um, you know, I think thankfully in, uh, in America, we've seen sort of a, a disconnect from um, – well, let me put it this way. It used to be a uh it, it used to be that in order for um in order for you to be a respectable member of society, you had to be a church-going Christian, right? And so um when there was that kind of social support, we saw the attendance of uh the churches swell and, and things like this. And you know, there's there's certainly blessings to be had with that. We don't have that anymore. And and people get worried about this. Um, I'm a little bit less worried. I mean, yes, it does create some very hard challenges for the church, uh, the fact that we don't have that kind of social support anymore. Um, but on the, on the other hand, um, I think it certainly gives the church freedom, and it brings our worship closer to what worship is supposed to be about, which is... Uh, about the the adoration of God, about the reception of His good gifts, about prayer, and 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 so yeah, I think that we can see something of that where there's there's kind of this um, um, re- religious cover given to the uh, uh, given to these false merchants, um, you know, saying helping them to maintain social standing even despite the fact that. Um, they are being, um, you know, paltry with the poor, and in fact, uh, are, are being um, iniquitous toward the, towards the poor. Uh, I, and so, I think certainly think there is that. Um, there is also the issue where it comes to, you know, worship. Usually, throughout the history of mankind, is almost always. Um, been accompanied by by economic activity. Um, it's just something that you can't get away from. So, for example, um, in the Middle Ages, uh, the the cathedrals oftentimes were um, you know around the cathedrals were marketplaces and so on because this is where people congregate and uh, it's sort of convenient. Um, you know, certainly in Greco-Roman society, that comes into play with uh, Paul and and what he discusses with the Corinthians where. You know the the foods that were being offered at the temple. Well, what should we do when these come up on the market in the marketplace and so on? Um, but something that I think we're kind of dancing around here is is where I think um, 
we can really have a, a beautiful Christological connection here. And, and this is where I think that we can, um, through the prophetic ministry of Amos, um, fast forward to, to Jesus, who is the ultimate prophet and, and the one um, who is the, the fullness of, of what it means to be a prophet that we see in part in Amos here um, in, in sort of a typological way, um, because we see very much the inverse of all of this uh, when it comes to Jesus. So, you know, if we fast forward to, to Luke, for example, in, in Luke chapter 6, um, in the, the, the Beatitudes that, um, that, that Jesus uh, gives there, he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And so we see, yeah, Jesus has this, this concern for the poor, but he also sees something um, very, very different. So um, this temple, um, this, this sanctuary at Bethel, as Amaziah says, this is a temple of the king, right, this earthly king and this earthly kingdom. And it is this, this religious activity there is being engaged in, in shallow ways and hollow ways and to the benefit of these rich merchants. Um, Jesus sees something entirely different and sees that in the kingdom of God, it's an altogether different matter. Um, he says that it's the poor who are blessed in God's kingdom um, and that the kingdom of God really belongs to them. And, and when Jesus says the poor here, uh, yeah, I think he's, he's talking about the economic poor, but he's talking about really um, everyone who, who stands at the margins. Um, so this includes certainly the economic poor, but this also includes the sick, the diseased. Um, this also includes the sinner, you know, who, uh, you know, the, the prostitute, the, the tax collector, um, these individuals who um, they are not in this respectable echelon of society, but it's, it's these um, who inherit the kingdom of God. Um, and then, then we can also fast forward as well in Luke to Luke chapter 21, where, uh, where Jesus, um, sorry, not Luke chapter uh, 21, um, but uh, as well the, the cleansing um, oh, yeah, the, yes, Luke chapter 21, um, the widow's offering, because we have a, a very similar uh, kind of thing here. Um, Jesus says, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense. So, again, this outward this outward kind of religiosity for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And then he goes on with this, uh, this observing the widow's might, the widow's offering. Uh, and he says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. Now what was going on there, um, you know, this widow, this, this poor woman, um, her heart, <laughs> right? Uh, out of her poverty, she put in all she had to live on. So, She's giving this paltry sum, but this displays an attitude of the heart, which is um, an attitude of trust, uh, attitude of trust to God. And then finally, we, we can also talk about the, uh, the cleansing of the temple, where um, Jesus looks at this economic activity happening in the temple, and he sees that instead of the temple being, um, being a place of prayer for all peoples, Instead, it has become a den of robbers, and, and so therefore he becomes angry and he, he cleanses it and, and drives out the money changers and uh, those selling um, livestock and so on. And, and so really, I think it's, it's not a, a hard reach at all here to see these themes that Amos is bringing up, to see these concerns that Amos has. And, and seeing how Jesus is, uh, that these reflect who Jesus was and what he came to do. And this is to make us into people 
um, who worship in spirit and in truth, uh, to turn our hearts so that um, instead of having this, this outward religiosity, um, instead we are ones who look in faith and hope and trust to God. Jesus has accomplished this through his open-handed generosity to we who are poor sinners, because he's not been paltry with us. He's not been hard-hearted against us, but out of his great love for us, um, he shed something which is more precious than silver, more precious than gold. He shed his blood for us. By this, he's given us the forgiveness of sins. By this, he has, he has fulfilled our righteousness so that um, no, longer, no longer are we slaves, right? Mm-hmm. But instead, he has purchased and he has won us from our slavery to sin and our slavery to death and our slavery to the devil. He's purchased and won us, and he's made us brothers. He's made us what God intended his people Israel to be from the very beginning, sons of Abraham, brothers of one another, by making us his brother and sons of God. And so now, now things are altogether different for us. Um, things are altogether different for us who are in Christ Jesus because our, our hearts have been changed by this. And so instead of, instead of this outward observance and this way that, that looks right from the outside, instead um, we are ones who seek to, to obey God's word um, and to obey his will not out of outward compulsion, not by the rules of men, not for the sake of looking respectable, uh, but rather gladly and willingly and out of love, love for the Father and, and love for others as well. And it, it changes how we um, approach those who are, are poor in worldly ways, so that, that now we Christians... Um, we are open-handed and gladly give to those uh, who have need of us, not because we're, we're looking for benefit or gain, um, but because we have, we have hearts which, which are open and, and soft towards others who have need, because God has been open-handed to us in our need. That was a, an excellent connection that you made to Christ in the way that he fulfills all righteousness, that he is the perfect example to us, but then even more than that, that he gives himself to us in his generosity. That is where we receive. And so what I think you've, you've done very well is you've connected these two matters that Amos wants us to keep connected, the, the matter of right worship and the matter of right living. And we talked you know, on the first half of the program more about that matter of right living, that Amos won't let us you know, spiritualize this matter of caring the poor. God really does care about how we treat each other, especially the poor, and to, to love one another in this, this brotherhood that he's given us. But at the same time, Amos also won't let us just sort of get off the hook and say, well, you, you need to fix your way of life. He, he's got this matter of worship in mind, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And these two things just have to go together. Absolutely. I mean, what, and, and so, Pastor Jackson, we've, we've got about four minutes left here on the morning just to, to help tie these these strands all together in Christ to, to help us see the, and I think you've, you've started to do this very well, to because to, Amos, you know, Amos, and I, I love Amos, but he's, he's always, do not, this is what's wrong. Help us to, to see this in a, on the positive side, the way that this should look in the life that God has given us as Christians. Yeah, so, I mean, um, we should just be very clear. Yes, Amos speaks in these, these very dark ways in his particular context and was, was called to do so. Um, but, but as you've noted with some of your other guests, you know, it does end in, uh, in chapter 9, where we get this very different... Um, we, we get this very different vision of of what the people of God will be, um, where there's just this incredible abundance, um, and such an abundance that if you have that abundance, well, well, certainly, you know, you're not going to be, um, you know, hard-hearted or paltry uh, with those who, um, with those who are around you that, that, that need your blessing and your, your generosity. Um, and, and we, I think it really gives us a, a vision of the, the time to come, um, when Jesus comes in power and might and glory and, and gives us all things. Um, but 
to bring it back to us who are the new Israel and a connection with um, how God has uh, bless, how God blesses us today. Um, this is exactly what happens in worship week by week. Um, in worship, the fabric of of time as we know it is ripped open, and and the fabric of the the world as we know it is ripped open. I mean, Jesus, the Lord of heaven and in earth comes down to us. And he'll come down to us fully in the time to come um, when he brings that, that incredible outpouring of, of abundance that we, we look forward to. But he comes down to us now. He comes to us through holy absolution as he declares us uh, free from our sins. He, he comes to us in his word as he unfolds before us the the message and the plan of salvation and how this applies to us through his cross um he he gives his very self to us in in the lord's supper where he gives us his body and he gives us his blood in this incredible outpouring of generosity which which is the forgiveness of sins and the the granting of eternal life and eternal blessings uh and and so really the end times the the eschaton the last day when we go to church that's what we are encountering in a in a nascent way Jesus is there in the end times have come to us there and so and so this is why yes worship and our our ethical status the, the way that we live cannot be disconnected because you cannot leave if you are a person of faith you cannot leave from Sunday morning worship where word and sacrament is given you the same person <laughs> you, you will be changed your heart uh, will be softened and, and conform more and more to the heart of Christ um, so that we are empowered and, and led forth um, in these ways of, of generosity and love. And, and I think that, you know, really, this bears out. I mean, we can, we can see this. You know, people say that the Christian, you hear some people say that the Christian life, uh, the good Christian life looks no different than the unbeliever. I, I don't believe that. Um, I, I believe that the Christian life is distinctive, is different. And one of the ways that we see this is the way that God, through renewing our hearts, um, also renews our life and our conduct towards, towards others who um, God has called us to be agents of love towards. Pastor Christopher Jackson is the pastor at St. John Lutheran Church in Algoma, Wisconsin, and St. Peter Lutheran Church in Forestville, Wisconsin, helping us this morning with Amos chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for listening this morning. Talk to you again tomorrow.